This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 12th of October 2022 at home in Wicklow and it is largely a discussion of the film Blonde directed by Andrew Dominic uh, which is the story of Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Monroe's career, her life, the abuse she endured, her fragile psyche her iconography, her marriages um, and her tragic end and the film has been very divisive, um, largely received very critically um, in the sense of negative criticism, not a lot of love from the critics Um, but I watched it the other night and I found there was a lot of, it's a movie with a lot of merit Largely the central performance by Anna de Armas. Um, she was really, really good, I thought, and kept the whole thing afloat with the um, just the brilliant. I, I, th- I thought I actually thought her performance was brilliant. I thought it was really, really good and very sympathetic. And I just thought this is actually worth talking about. And yeah, so that's that's really the main focus of the episode. Um, I've also got some thoughts on uh, the explosion, the tragic uh, explosion that happened in Donegal last week in Chrysler in Donegal. I've got some thoughts about the success of the Irish women's football team. And then on the back of the Maryland discussion, just some thoughts on the objectification of women and misogyny and the idea of trying to possess female sexuality from, uh, you know, through the male lens. Um, and just looking at that and, you know, tabloid culture and paparazzi and the, the sort of willful, um, the willful destruction of, of damaged female women, particularly damaged female celebrities. So if that sounds like it's your bag, listen keep listening um i go pretty deep it's 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 mostly it's mostly about the movie and um about the the novel that the movie's based on the joyce carol oates fictionalized i emphasize fictionalized biography of marilyn monroe so um that's what's coming up i hope you can get into it i will see you around the corner cheers not gonna change my Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. You're very welcome to my little tell. Because it's not a show, it's a tell. And that's a, that's a golden rule of, of storytelling. Show, don't tell. But I'm telling, not showing. So maybe this means this is terrible storytelling. Anyway, here we are. Another week has passed. It's a mucky morning here at Hashtag Blessed. The rain is coming down. It's, it's not it's not lashing. It's just drizzling. But there's a real wetness. <laughs> there's a wetness to that rain. It's it's, it's wet rain, I find. Um, and when I'm out in it, I find I I get wet myself. Uh, no, you dirty fecker. Not in a sexual way. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe you thought that. Anyway, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's not nice. Um, it was beautiful and dark. The other morning, the sun, the sun, the moon was going down over 
the uh, the at the back of the house. I was out in the garden doing my morning my morning rituals, and I just took a photo. I was trying to catch the the moon in its glory, um, but my my phone didn't didn't really succeed in doing that. But a, a happy a happy accident was a lovely photograph of the the back of the house with this bright light above it um and otherwise black everywhere and the the little fairy lights we have up <laughs> all the time in the house illuminated it and the particular part of the house I was looking at has several windows um that are that are sort of uh is it a parabola parabola a little arch like you'd see in a, a church window at the top of the windows so it, it just looked sort of magical and it looked a bit like a, a fairy tale house and really rather lovely so um i was so pleased that i put it up on social media to get uh, to get some love for the photo anyway there you go um amazing amazing story thanks so much that was a case where show rather than tell would have been much more effective. But if you go and look at my Instagram account, The Clear Out Podcast, or on Facebook, The Clear Out Podcast, you will see that image. I put it up uh, a couple of days ago. Anyway, here we are. Another week has passed. Um, how are you, by the way? Yeah, that's a real question for the real you. How are you the question that we just quickly speed over the answer ah yeah 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 i'm grand i'm grand i'm fine yeah yeah ah yeah actually you know my cliche is um i'd complain but but no one would listen yeah one of those ones actually you know yourself i'd complain but but who'd listen um so that's sort of mock stoicism. Um, anyway, that's uh, that that just backs up the belief, <laughs> the belief that most of us have that nobody's really interested in really knowing how we truly are, apart from some of the the intimates in your life, the confidants, the people who you keep close, and even for them, they're like. Uh, after a while yeah <laughs> but that's like that's a question does 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 anybody you know does it really benefit us would it benefit us all if we were all just you know vomiting forth our true state all the time it would be unbearable um again there's a time and a place there's a time there's a place there's a mode um because otherwise if it's too and certainly, I mean, I can be accused of this in terms of what I've, what I do here on the podcast and what I used to do on the the, the blog, the website. Um, I can be accused of that sort of oversharing, uh, but it, it's you know it's always it's primarily in service of myself, and then my my hope is that there'll be knock on service, knock on benefits for other people who go, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm glad he said that. Now I don't have to. Um, but as I say, if we were all just 
you know, ripping open our chests all the time. This is how I feel. This is what's going on. Now do you understand? Yeah, it would be excruciating. And we probably all have friends like that who just... (laughs) That's what they bring. They bring that. It may not come in that very manner, but they bring that level of the weight the weight that's um i'm not sure that's what the band were singing about when they uh, recorded that song the weight but some people have that amazing capacity to bring the weight the weight of their existence um and it's you know it's tricky because that's where that's where some people have you know some people get stuck in that place and it's um in my opinion it's 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 unsustainable and something you can't carry weight forever i think that's my point you can't, like it's it's not sustainable to to carry weight forever and i'm speaking metaphorically here i'm not talking about being big or putting on weight although sometimes that can be careful now steady steady about to get onto some rocky terrain here. About to get onto some thin ice. So I hope I'm not too heavy on the thin ice. Um, but sometimes that weight gain can be connected to other things, other weight that one is carrying. And it goes the other way. If we're going if, if to if stray into the area of eating disorders and traumatized souls... Uh, taking it out on their bodies and how they perceive themselves and all of that um that's that's a thing that's not that's not fanciful that's not speculative that is a real thing um but the weight i'm talking about of course is the weight of existence the weight of life the weight of the burden you feel and in a way it's not you know is it it's it, it is it it's not objectively the burden but it is objectively how you experience it and that that is something we all have to negotiate in our own individual ways um and look with that i'm going to segue away from that to just spare a thought for people in Chrysla in Donegal in the uh, the beautiful northwest corner of Ireland where there was a horrible incident last Friday a petrol station there was an explosion beside a petrol station I think it came out of neighboring apartments uh, a massive explosion collapsed buildings uh, that led to a tragic um, loss of life uh, I believe the the number is 10 people lost their lives in the in the accident um as a small from what i've read from what i've gathered it's a you know small community up there in donegal a very close-knit tight community and um yeah just a horrible tragic incident um and i just couldn't help you know a couple of things you know you you, you get news like that and there's the initial you know the initial kind of shock of wow that just happened um those poor people and of course because it's up in that part of the world i mean i just got a just a flashback to the troubles even though the troubles weren't really happening in donegal as such um it was kind of the other side of 
the of Northern Ireland, um, where most of the action was happening. Um, but I, I just got that flash of bombings, and uh, the bombings that were uh, kind of the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of of the troubles in Northern Ireland from the sixties through the late nineties. And you know the, the the worst days of the bombings in the seventies and eighties, and just that, I don't know. I mean, I, I I mean, that didn't touch me, of course. It did, you know, for so many people in the Republic down, you know, in the rest of Ireland down south and south and west, um, it we weren't really touched by those incidents, not directly. Um, but if you paid any attention at all, I mean, there were bombings in Dublin um, at one point and. Um, yeah, various, but but you know, but the, the vast majority of incidents were happening up north in um, sectarian hotspots, um, obviously with targeted um, members of you know police forces, targeted members of paramilitary organisations, targeted members of the military, um, and yeah, I just hearing. The news of that explosion last week, um, I, I did find myself with sort of a just this kind of um, I, don't how, I don't know how to describe it really, but just this sort of memory tremor, it's kind of an emotional memory, and it's sort of a, a sickening feeling in your gut of just the brutality and the the sort of the casual non deterministic violence of an explosion of a deliberate explosion of of bombings and planned explosions and the amount of innocent victims who who lost their lives because of that um, and what that represented like the the precariousness of of life i suppose um in those days uh, in those times in particular you know in you know in particular areas um and the just the impact that would have had uh, on the psyche of the people who had to live in proximity to that um but in any case this wasn't um this explosion last week as far as i know it was just an uh, an accident i'm not sure what the details are it may have been a gas explosion but um it wasn't uh motivated politically or anything like that and i think probably that was my fear my first you know one of my first thoughts was has this got something to do with you know brexit or the border or something like that and um it was the wrong it was the wrong thought it was a misplaced impulse uh, or instinct anyway um yeah so i then you know over the last few days i was just thinking you know these those poor people who who've, who've who've lost friends and family um and this time of year you know it's it's that acceleration to to christmas um, I just thought, oh, it's just going to be such a, a miserable, bitter, uh, and you know, tragically sad time for those people and the members of that community um, this particular Christmas. Um, anyway, I, I mean, that's just probably a bit of sentimentality, maybe on my part. But um, yeah, tough, very tough times for them up there. Um, a nice counter to that. A nice counter to that was uh, the success uh, last night um, of the Irish women's football team, the soccer team, who 
beat Scotland in a playoff game to successfully get themselves to next year's World Cup. Um, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, a great performance. I, I've mentioned this team before. Uh, I really admire the way they go about their business. They're gritty and tough and they're positive and they've got that kind of positive aggression that is often a key element of successful teams. They play with spirit. They play with their heads up. They're no nonsense. They're not diving or throwing themselves to the ground. They're getting on with the job in hand and they're a really you know, bonded um, unit of young women led by their inspirational coach, Vera Pau, the, uh, the Dutch woman who took over a couple of years ago and has been really embraced by the Irish football community and the Irish public at large. Um, she's just a really, I don't know, she just comes across as such a, a decent person, very open and honest. And um, yeah, there were emotional scenes last night after that match. Um, but to to link it to Chrysler, the the woman... Uh, who came on as a substitute and scored the winning goal not very long after coming on. It's a, a young woman called Amber Barrett. And she's from Donegal. And she said like, her grandparents were both from Creaselet. She has loads of connections to Creaselet and that community and those people who died. And she scored the goal and just you know ran towards the fans and pointed to the, the black armband she was wearing, that all the players were wearing as a, a mark of respect for the victims of the explosion last week and uh, she spoke really eloquently um, after the match and just uh, but brilliant and, and just took her took the goal brilliantly just great composure, just knocked it ahead of the defender and uh, as she said she knew the keeper wasn't going to come off her line and just toe poked it <laughs> to the far corner to the left of the keeper and um yeah just a cracking little finish um and then the the team just defended for their lives um but just with such ferocious commitment so that was nice and it was nice to see a, a Donegal flag in the crowd um and yeah just nice to have maybe something to give um, to give people a little lift up there but you know it gave everyone a lift who cares about football and um yeah lovely just to get behind the the, the, the women's team so well done to them well done to Vera Pau well done to all the, the the people involved in that team and I'll be looking forward to seeing them in action next year in um, I think we're going to at the World Cups in New Zealand and Australia I believe so there you go anyway 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 the um what I want to talk about today is Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe biopic um, directed by Andrew Dominic that is has just been released on Netflix in the last two or three weeks. Um, I think it's had a cinema release as well, but I, I watched it myself on Netflix the, uh, the other night. And if you've been paying any attention at all the the movie has been pretty much uh vilified and largely dismissed um it's been described as dreadful um and i just yeah i wanted to i wanted to um i wanted to see it for myself make up my own mind um one of 
one of a couple of good movie podcasts I listened to. I heard them kind of break it down, and um, that was uh, the big picture. Um, and Sean Fennessy, uh, Sean Fennessy and uh, Amanda Dobbins were talking about it. Uh, that's their regular movie show. Um, you'll also hear Sean Fennessy on one of my other favorite ones, The Rewatchables. So again, if you like movies, both really good and Sean Fennessy he's, he's great he's a, he's, a, he's a great film critic um, and you know brings a lot of thoughtfulness and um, a lot of knowledge to his his film criticism and um, yeah there's a there's a, a great depth of knowledge and appreciation of, of movies but he described the movie as trauma pornography um, basically so um, yeah and, and, and the, the general sense the general sense from most critics is that Andrew Dominic hasn't has just done has you know fell victim to the same thing as everybody else uh, who was a part of sort of the objectification of Marilyn Monroe through her life, um, and he, I guess the argument is Dominic was was no different. He just ended up ticking the kind of cliched boxes of who of who Marilyn was, what we knew about her and just presented it in a full throttle mallet over the head for over two and a half hours of movie. Um, Marilyn was a victim. Marilyn was uh, addled and uh, addled and um, adulated sexual um you know, perpetually lost, vulnerable, um, the the abandoned girl with daddy issues, um, who was always always failing to kind of punch through the 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 oppressive objectification that she was met with, and fell victim in every conceivable way to how she was um, observed perceived um presented desired lusted after um and yes again that word objectified so um that that was the the general thrust of the um of, of most critics responses that that i've seen uh, and i watched it and i was i was surprised i think by how well performed the central role was by Anna de Armas. Anna de Armas, who you may have seen in the the Blade Run, Runner sequel a few years ago. Um, I spoke about that in, I think, last December or November. I did an episode, um, The Unloved Child, or Wielding the Blade of Creation. And she came up in that because she's a, a kind of a important-ish figure in that Blade Runner sequel as a, a sort of a, a love bot. Um, she also has a very funny scene sequence in the, 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 the most recent James Bond movie as a, a deceptively capable secret agent who um, helps Bond fight off attackers. And the, 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 the comic element brought into that is James Bond is presuming as and maybe we are as the audience as well presuming that oh yeah here's another 
here's another young woman who's about to be another Bond conquest. And the uh, the nice kind of touch that the, the writers, our director, chose to introduce there was she was totally dismissive. <laughs> totally dismissive of him as just being this kind of crotchety old fart who's like, oh no, you're way too old for me. See you later. Um, and, you know, kind of taken on the chin um, with you know, a little bit of comic humility by, um, by Daniel Craig. But, um, you know, she, she's, she's an actress who just has, like, she's very, a very attractive actress, um, you know, beautiful looking woman, but she has what a lot of, you know, what, what a lot of very successful screen actors have is just this sort of, um, a sort of a, a natural kind of charm and warmth on screen um and something about her energy just kind of punches through um she's she's also in um a pretty over the top uh sort of me too sex revenge thriller uh called knock knock where she and i can't remember the other actress but she plays a a young woman who who rocks up to a, a house in the i don't know if it's the hollywood hills or where um, late at night and knocks on a door to, to to kind of say oh we're lost we I uh, know we've no phone signal um we've no money can we come in and use your phone and Keanu Reeves is this kind of <laughs> doofusy uh, guy who's home alone for the weekend his wife and kids have gone away and um he he lets them in and they kind of seduce him and um, it all becomes this kind of thing where he, they're just kind of setting them up and they're total predators and they're trying to basically wreck his life and ensnare him in a in in in, in a honey trap of you know their sexual kind of conniving um it's it's kind of entertaining <laughs> and Keanu Reeves has one of those sort of odd oddly kind of comical performances that he, he he's capable of with some of his his line readings i mean it's pretty disposable but um yeah she's in that as well um this kind of coquettish devious almost murderous uh young woman um toying with the kind of the, the middle-aged doofus who's you know flattered um and as I say, ensnared by the sexual charms of the of, of these two younger women. Um, but in any case, I think she's really, really good in in Blonde. I think her performance and the kind of integrity that she imbues into her interpretation of Marilyn. Um, I'm not saying that she's representing Marilyn's integrity, but the integrity of her performance, her commitment to the the sort of the, the, the inner life and the, well, yeah, I suppose, yeah, her, probably her understanding or her interpretation of of Marilyn's essential kind of um, decency, and honesty is sort of what I took away from it. That that, that that is really what kind of comes through. And in my opinion, that's what keeps the movie afloat. So in spite of, in spite of, in spite of fundamentally agreeing with a lot of the criticisms that I came across, I just found that 
she was compelling and I found her really sympathetic um, and it's almost like I feel she, she was I, I feel like she was it's almost like she was so successful in embodying Marilyn Monroe that it was like everything else around her in the movie was you know it was just this kind of white noise um and this kind of clunky uh obvious heavy-handed very male white noise that happens all around her and she's just kind of rising above it and moving through it her performance sort of transcends the the, the structure of the movie and it's not you know it, it's not a classic it, it's very far from a classic biopic a classic kind of biographical film which takes you through the key stages in her life and this happened and then she met that person um quite the contrary dominic throws her in um you know well into you know relationships and fast forwards and omits other things um and just I, I you know in a way the 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 comparison maybe would be to Pablo Lorraine's uh Jackie um Pablo Lorraine is a he's a Chilean yeah he's a Chilean director who did what I think was a fantastic uh movie about Jackie Onassis um which focuses the framing device is Jackie Onassis being interviewed by uh uh, I think it was a Life magazine interviewer played by Billy Crudup. And it's in the aftermath of JFK uh, being assassinated. I can't remember what the timeline is meant to be. Um, but that's the framing device. But mostly then the focus of that movie is um, Natalie Portman as Jackie Jackie Onassis reliving. Um, I suppose I shouldn't be saying it. I mean, referring to her as Jackie Onassis is a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Wasn't she Jackie Bouvier Kennedy? So um, the Onassis came later, but I guess that's how she finished up as Jackie O. But um, what Pablo Lorraine did so successfully, he basically depicted then Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy in the immediate aftermath of the Kennedy assassination and the chaos and the sort of uh, sort of the helplessness in a way and the isolation of being you know the you know the wife of um the wife of a man of prominence and, and you know none more prominent arguably than the president of uh, America and in the you know the early 60s of course um when women were still you know the women's lib movement was yet to happen um, I guess there was still a sense of you know know your place um, but that movie which I think I've described before as being like a sort of a, a tone poem um, very kind of stylistic and evocative um, and trying to trying to really express the the inner world of of the character um, and even though it was directed by a man, there was something 
to my mind anyway maybe i'm wrong um but to my mind there was something kind of feminine about the the unfolding of the the story in in, in pablo lorraine's film um and that is not the sense i got with this um with, with blonde which um it just felt i don't know there was something and this may be an unfortunate choice of word, but there was something kind of relentlessly kind of penetrative about the the structure, like a, a jackhammer coming in and out. And yes, I you know I, I I'm aware this is a, a sexual metaphor, um, but and maybe that's not an accident. I don't think Andrew Dominic is an unintelligent filmmaker. Um, I mean he's had. He's made four dramatic features over the last 22 years. He kind of exploded. Well, maybe it was more of a cult explosion, but he had, you know, came to people's awareness with the movie Chopper um, in 2000. And Chopper is, if you haven't seen it, the again, it's a, it's a, it's a biopic um, about Chopper. I keep on going from is it Chopper <laughs> Chopper Harris was a footballer Mark Chopper Reed um, an Australian violent criminal um, who based on that movie and there's a lot of you know he, he, he was the subject of a lot of books um, and kind of true crime stuff he was kind of a charismatic very charismatic figure who probably one of these kind of pathological um, personalities who was very good at sort of being kind of charming and self-aggrandizing and self-myth-making. But Dominic made a very successful movie with a brilliant, brilliant performance by Eric Bana. Um, I don't think he's done anything quite like it in his film career since. Now, Eric Bana, um, you know, I, I, I found out by virtue of being married to an Australian and then from spending time there, Eric Bana was like a very successful comic actor on TV in, in Australia um and then chopper was this kind of breakout role and he's he's fantastic in that um and it's it's a great little movie um bannett kind of i don't know he he doesn't really seem to make a lot of movies anymore yeah i think he's yeah he's an actor i'm always happy to watch he's got a sort of a soulfulness um that he brings to things in any case dominic started with that and then he made the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Is that right? With uh, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Um, and this, you know, a sort of a slow burn contemplative um, kind of neo-Western. Um, very stylish, kind of muted, very controlled um sort of um yeah again kind of not harsh and staccato and in your face um sort of um i don't know rendering these these characters and certainly the character of of jesse james as played by brad pitt um in kind of cinematically poetic terms um you know moody and atmospheric and enigmatic um and kind of yeah the 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 sort of elevating a gunslinger to 
this sort of status of existential mystery, you know, tormented gun poet kind of thing. Um, he followed that a few years later by Killing Them Softly, again starring Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, um, Ray Liotta, James Gandolfini, Ben Mendelsohn. Um, a nice, a nice little cast, a little kind of, again, a sort of a, a gangster, again, thriller is probably, it, 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 it's not really a thriller as such, but a little kind of gangster crime movie. Um, you know, gangsters, codes of honor. A very funny Richard Jenkins performance in that, actually, as the the sort of middleman between uh, kind of the mob um, and the, you know the guy who hires the hitman to take out criminals who've been misbehaving. Um, and there was something. There was a bit of kind of political commentary in that as well. Um, you know, to tie in with. Was it the, the 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 kind of the coming of Obama, um, and that period of you know contemporary American history, but again, a, kind of a a very controlled bit of filmmaking, and after that, he made a couple of Nick Cave documentaries, which I haven't seen, but seem to be critically very highly regarded. Um, I'm not a huge Nick Cave fan. I'm not really into his music, and there's something about his. Um, apparent and relentless kind of self-seriousness that's always kind of put me off um but i know that's the thing that some people gravitate towards um we can't all be making jokes all the time i suppose can't we can't all be going around with bananas in our ears um however i, I may yet get to get to them and so blonde then is his his fourth dramatic feature and there's no question andrew dominic is um an accomplished uh, cinematic storyteller and there's a sort of a, a surety in, in what he does and I don't think his choices are are accidental um, but it does seem that he wasn't really interested in in sort of helping us know or understand Marilyn Monroe more now as ever, and this is a flaw. This is a you know, it, it, like it's it's a real flaw of a lot of film criticism. Um, the the critics don't seem to be focusing that much on the book upon which the movie is based, and the book upon which the movie is is based is called Blonde, and it was written by Joyce Carol Oates in two thousand. And that book is over 700 pages long. Uh, I haven't read it. I, I wasn't even aware of it until I was aware of the movie. And as far as I can tell from, the, you know, from reviews that I've read of the book and now having seen the movie, the movie is very faithful to the book. And the book, very openly, very unapologetically, uh, unashamedly, is a fictionalized account of Marilyn Monroe's life and the book was not an attempt to pull back the covers if anything it seems the book leaned into everything that was already known about Marilyn um, and went hard that way and sort of tried to present 
Marilyn and the other figures in her life as as these kind of you know archetypes of the sort of um, you know archetypes of the sort of twentieth century American experience, um, and it's something to do with celebrity and and storytelling and iconography of American beauty and American fame. Um, and so instead of naming Marilyn Monroe as Marilyn Monroe, she's referred to as the blonde. Um, and I suppose jo- Joyce Carol Oates's um, tip of the hat or nod to the fact that she is fictionalizing the character. She deliberately misspells Marilyn's uh, actual name, which is Norma Jean. And puts an extra E at the end of Jean, um, and that's, I guess, her way of just going, yeah, don't, don't. This isn't meant to be the real Marilyn. This is me leaning into something. Um, and I'm going to actually quote you uh, in in a moment. I'm going to quote you from a review which I found very telling and kind of sums up the failing of the movie as well. And you know, again, that you can look at that term to describe it as a failing of the movie is to go, well, it didn't meet my expectations or it didn't satisfy what I hoped it would be. And I think that's how most critics are coming to it. But you think if it's a faithful representation of the book, then it hasn't failed at all. It's represented the book. Um, But in any case, back to that idea of Joyce Carol Oates trying to make archetypes out of these significant figures. So you've got Arthur Miller, um, the famous American playwright who I've spoken about at length on the podcast in a previous episode um, Arthur Miller simply referred to as the playwright and Joe DiMaggio the New York Yankees the legendary New York Yankees baseball player um, he is simply referred to as the ex-athlete um, and I, I don't know what to make of that as a as a device it's I suppose there's a distancing effect um, because if you mention those those people by their names, all your your knowledge of their of the real person filters in and informs the pictures in your head and informs the storytelling and, and fleshes it out in a way that perhaps Joyce Carol Oates didn't want to happen. So by anonymizing them, she's in a way telling a much cleaner version of the story that she wants to tell um and maybe that doesn't really work maybe that doesn't really work um and i'll talk about that now in a moment when i I go back to the movie but i just want to quote you something from um a review of um a review of the book in 2000 and this was from um the guardian the person reviewing was cressida connolly and it, this is just a short paragraph from her review and the review is largely um, negative and kind of it's kind of mocking Joyce Carol Oates's some of her thematic choices and an obsession with Marilyn's menstrual um, discharge um, and certain stylistic uh, patterns in the book that she's is quite critical of. But this paragraph kind of sums up the what i think is what's lacking in the film as well and this is it she says blonde's gravest flaw is that it fails to make marilyn a living breathing presence after 738 pages she is no more vivid 
than had we listened to Candle in the Wind on the car radio. Oates's wholly unoriginal thesis is that Marilyn was a lost soul looking for a father figure. There is no sign here of her purported wit and intelligence, no sense of humour, no sexiness. Even the much-reported vulnerability is cliched. So it kind of sums it up, in a way. It kind of sums up what the, the film doesn't really succeed in doing. Um, but certainly what I described there is kind of what the film does do. And it just presents, it presents the, the cliche, it presents the large brush strokes. And as I've already said, it just kind of hammers them home in this unrelenting and unsubtle way. And so what you have are the the themes fundamentally are um, a damaged child uh, because of a, a mentally unstable mother. Yet again, another mother figure to hate. Um, I know that's a, that's a bit of a trope. Some of the feminists go, oh, for God's sake, you know, it's not always the mother's fault. Um, but the, the mother played quite starkly and and scarily in certainly in one early sequence in the movie by uh, Julianne Nicholson um, where she's forcing Marilyn to get into an overly hot bath and the young actress the, the child uh, playing the, 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 the young Marilyn Monroe was really really good I was, I was genuinely afraid for her um, and, and that was very early in the movie and I was thinking oh my goodness if this is what it's going to be like for the next over you know two hours i'm not sure if i'm going to be able to stick with it but mercifully that um you know we, we moved on from the childhood um after after not too much time so basically you got the 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 mentally unstable potentially you know, a violent mother who blaming the birth of her child for ruining her life and taking away her opportunities to be successful in hollywood like that's a ding cliche number one then the other cliche is the absent the absent but adored father the the fantasized uh version of the absent father um so the father fixation you know the the vulnerable girl with daddy issues um again and you know what can you say it's a cliche but that's out there that's a real thing I know, I know women with, with father issues. I've been close to women with father issues. Um, I mean, it, does it, is it, don't we all in, in some way or another, you know, most of us have issues with one of our parents, um, if not both. Um, and fair play to you if you have no issues with either. And I guess, you know, the severity of those issues or the intensity of those issues just depends on your own makeup and, the severity of your your childhood experience. I mean, so much of the, the our childhood experiences are are, are defining and shaping. Um, in in spite of our our best efforts, in spite of of some things I've read, which are like if you're still crapping on, <laughs> this is a paraphrase. But if if you're still crapping on about your parents when you're in your thirties, it's like you know you've completely failed to evolve as a human. Um, you've completely failed to grow up and take ownership of your life. Now, that is a massive paraphrase. It was put, in a way, I, my, my recollection is it was put much more succinctly, but much more brutally and dismissively. Um, and I 
I reject that thesis fundamentally. I reject it because you just don't know. You never know. You never know what the hell has gone on for someone. You have no idea how somebody has been marked internally, psychically, emotionally, even physically, I'm afraid, um, by a traumatic childhood. And again, this is really one of the, the cornerstones of my approach to understanding wellness. I just think there's a colossal and grotesque arrogance to presuming you can dismiss someone else's experience and you know especially the presumption that you can dismiss somebody else's pain and their inability to to cope with that pain in a way that you think is fit um i just think i, I mean I, I get a very strong angry impulse when faced with that attitude um that dismissiveness and that that presumption that another person has a clue about your experience um and you know this speaks this goes back to what i was saying at the start nobody knows very few people know very few people know your interiority and even you might not fully understand your interiority because it takes bloody hard work it takes hard work to gain insight, to gain understanding, to find the tools to process, to find the tools to own your stuff, um, which is another one of my cornerstones that I, I, I believe in the, the benefit of of doing that. It's hard work. There is nothing easy about it and you could well need help and help is fantastic if you can get it um, to help you own your stuff and process and get to a place where you feel more capable, more empowered, less brittle, um, and more resilient. Because um, again, that's 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 one of the uh, that's one of the main tools we need in life is resilience. Because it's not always going to go our way. In fact, quite the opposite. A lot of it will often go against us. Um, or that's how we may experience it. So resilience is key. Bounce back ability. Can you just get on through and go, okay, what now? How do I cope now? What's the what's the next move? Um but in any case, to return to return to to the movie, um it's really it really just it really kind of sticks and hangs on this through line of the suffering of Marilyn, the the horrible experiences of Marilyn. And there's this strange relationship she falls into with these two guys who are the the sons of um a, you know Edward G. Robinson's son, Edward G. Robinson, you know, a staple of you know forties and fifties cinema, particularly someone I associate with gangster movies. Um a movie like Key Largo comes to mind, perhaps. Um, I think Soylent Green was one of his last appearances um, in, the, in, in the 70s with Charlton Heston. But um, Edward G. Robinson, one of the, it's his son, and then uh, uh, Charlie Chaplin's son. So these are two, I think they're meant to be like acting buddies of Marilyn's. And for me, I, I just found my eyes just glazing over um, when those two actors... Uh, our characters I shouldn't blame the actors when those two characters were on screen I just found it unbelievably boring 
uninteresting. I found them completely charmless. Um, and yet we're, we were invited to believe that Marlon was in an ongoing kind of menage a trois with these two guys. And they were sort of manipulating her and yet they were good buddies. And yet, of course, the sexual thing was in the mix as well. So they were sort of their, you know, they were sort of her protectors. Um, but she obviously she she kind of transcended that relationship. And again, I'm not sure how what what level of, of veracity there is there in that relationship. I think I heard some critic dismissing it, saying it wasn't that wasn't a, a real they weren't real relationships that Marilyn had. Um, but again, it's a choice. And it's a choice that comes from, not from Andrew Dominic, but comes from Joyce Carol Oates. So really what we're seeing is these are Joyce Carol Oates's choices. Um, and then you get to the sort of significant famous figures in her life. Um, two of her husbands, Joe DiMaggio, played as ever, um, <laughs> played as ever with a sort of a, a chilling um sort of dangerous suppressed violence by Bobby Cannavale who is really one of the most interesting actors I think um in coming out of America um in the last whatever 15 years or so um he's always good he always brings something um he brings heat um he brings a sense of danger a sense of menace he's, he was brilliant in Boardwalk Empire, the HBO series, um, where I can't remember what season he was in, if it was season two or season three, but he was fearlessly ugly um, and psychotic. Uh, and you're talking about someone with issues. You watch that performance of that character. Um, yeah, he just went there. Um, he was great. He had a, a smaller role in Nurse Jackie, opposite Edie Falco for a while. He was very good in that. He's always good. He always brings something. And um, I was I was looking at footage of Joe DiMaggio because I was like, whoa, did Joe DiMaggio have Bobby Cannavale energy? <laughs> and from what I can tell from a few old clips I saw of Joe DiMaggio on TV and listening to him in his interviews, the answer would be no, he didn't. Um, however, it's known that Marilyn Monroe's short marriage to Joe DiMaggio was uh, tempestuous, turbulent, violent. And the movie, again, doesn't shy away from that. And Joe DiMaggio's, as portrayed by um, Bobby Cannavale, there's just a sort of a a stillness and a coldness. Um, You know, in spite of me referring a second ago, saying he always brings heat. Um, There's something... And maybe this is what Andrew Dominic did do successfully, was this idea of Marilyn Monroe being this embodiment of female beauty and more, more importantly or more relevantly of female sexuality. Um, an embodiment of that that men just couldn't handle. And didn't know what to do with. They knew they wanted it, but they were probably they were the again going from what we see in the movie, the, the idea that maybe they were just threatened by it, overwhelmed by it, uh, frightened by it, um, and wanted to control it. And 
you know, not 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 just to possess it, to have it, but to control it. And and you know, this is, I suppose, it's a very misogynistic idea fundamentally. Um, and and I feel this is, you know, this is something I've spoken about before, and probably it's a little bit. It probably makes me think of Betty Blue when I was I was talking about Betty Blue and Vertigo. Um, seven or eight episodes ago and looking at that idea of you know female sexuality also being connected to female madness i mean and this goes back to the sort of uh, the freudian um misreading of hysteria as being connected to female hormones and female sexual impulses um and that 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 idea was played out in that um that movie I've just forgotten I've forgotten the name of it but that movie with um, Kira Knightley and Viggo Mortensen and who was the it was Young and Freud so it was I can't remember was Mortensen Freud or Young anyway it just ends up with Kira Knightley being spanked I thought she was very good in that film actually it's a very um, certainly a very committed performance I, who was the other actor in that was it Adrian Brody Anyway, I don't know. Adrian Brody is also in Marilyn as Arthur Miller. Um, and that was actually one of my favourite scenes in the movie. And maybe that's because I'm a, you know, it's because of my acting background. Marilyn Monroe is um, at a reading of, um, of one of Arthur Miller's plays and taking part in the reading. And he's like, oh my God, you know, really? Is this who we have, Marilyn Monroe? he's at the back of the theatre watching and he's really not that interested but they sit down for a coffee afterwards and it's just it's just this lovely little scene uh, really well acted by the pair of them um very just fluid and one of the one of the few sort of benign scenes in the movie where we get a, a just a glimpse the of of marilyn monroe's intelligence as an actress the way she was thinking about the roles um although there is an earlier scene in the movie where she does a an audition or a screen test for a a movie role and really accesses something that again the, the the room of men just find it all a bit too intense and don't know how to handle it and only really know how to dismiss it um so that's the probably the one concession uh, that we're given to her talent, um, you know, in the movie. Just this idea that, well, if nothing else, she had a great brain and understanding and instinct and impulse for for character, and you know, very much wanted to play more serious roles. Um, but again, it's that's it. That that's all we get. We're not really we're not really given anything else by Dominic. Um, but that one scene between Adrian Brody and Marilyn Monroe is, is really lovely and, and charming. And there's something very nicely, very nicely kind of played by both of them that just gives us, again, a, a, just a bit of respite from the, the, the brutality of, of so much of the rest of the film. Um, but what Dominic does, uh, you know, in, in terms of playing with the the iconography we've been handed of Marilyn Monroe like if you can just bring to mind if you if you have any familiarity with Marilyn Monroe's career and with the 
the famous and iconic images of Marilyn Monroe from various photo shoots. Um, certainly, I'm sure you can recall uh, different photo shoots. There's one of her in a, a kind of a chunky cardigan um, with kind of softly lit. There's one of her in kind of, you know, standing in, in surf on the seashore. Uh, there's one of her with a sort of a pink gauzy um, bit of material that she's using to kind of drape over herself. There's the image from the seven year itch standing over the air vent with the white dress billowing around her, revealing her legs and her underwear. Um, then other scenes like from Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, one of the famous dance numbers. Um, one of the scenes from a couple of the scenes from Some Like It Hot. And again, I, you know, I, 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 I spoke about Marilyn Monroe um, in episode 61, uh, Wiggly Bits, Jiggly Bits and the Dangers of Penetration. Uh, and I, again, in that episode, I did talk about the idea of iconic female sexuality. And I was sort of using Beyonce and Marilyn Monroe as the two figures I was kind of bouncing the ideas around and how my wife felt about them and watching uh, Some Like It Hot with my eight-year-old daughter and how much she enjoyed it and trying to kind of walk this line of the of understanding the sexual politics and thinking about the impact of of those images um and you know what Dominic does then and what, what Dominic does in the movie is he takes all those images and he sort of weaves them through the story. He weaves them through the the, the narrative that he's presented, uh, chosen to present. And, you know, it is, you know, it is approximately chronological. Like we do start at the beginning and we end at the end. But it's the way he sort of patchworks um, his chosen moments and chosen chosen pieces of the story throughout and peppers them with sort of actual flashbacks of sexual assault and um, one particular two like two particularly grim sequences uh, and i'm sorry if uh, i'm spoiling this for you but two particularly grim sequences one early in her career where she is um shown into the office of um, a hollywood studio executive head of studio might have been fox and um uh, a very grim sexual assault ensues and she leaves the office in tears um disheveled and you know walks past the sort of stony-faced uh secretary who is the gatekeeper that scene actually plays out in bombshell as well um the movie from a few years ago with nicole kidman and Margot Robbie and was it Kerry Mulligan as well? Um, was it the the Fox News sex scandal? Have I got that right? John Lithgow is the kind of sexual predator, and again that idea of a young, attractive woman being brought into the uh, what the lair of a sexual predator um, who's ostensibly. A figure of renown and respect and prominence um very much kind of me too storytelling um but i thought bombshell was quite successful actually um i know it's hasn't wasn't totally loved by critics um again that's only from 
four or five years ago, isn't it? Um, but yeah, evocative of that scene, and you know, Marilyn has is sexually assaulted in that, and then later, and that's you know at the start of her career, and of course at the end of her career when she was having um, an affair with uh, John F. Kennedy, and that's that, that's that's probably one of the saddest sequences in the movie because at that stage she's addicted to um i don't know if it's painkillers or um uppers downers whatever but she um is flown out to see jfk uh and is just completely out of her mind and um under the influence of whatever she's taken woozy and unsure on her feet and brought into uh kennedy's bedroom where there's a security guy sitting by the the open door to the bedroom and it's clear that she um is not the first woman to have been in his presence that day or in the last 24 hours there's a lipstick glass on the table and kennedy's on some political phone call as he lies in his bed in a state of undress and basic forces forces Marilyn to to give him oral sex while he's on the phone and um yeah again there's nothing there's nothing kind of prurient or sexualized about it it's just really sort of sad and depressing and then you always, I don't know, you know, I find when I watch scenes like that and I go, okay, well, what, 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 what are we, what are we learning here? Like, what are we being, what are we being asked to consider that JFK was a shit, um, that Marilyn Monroe was a victim, um, that she had very little agency in all of this, that she was unable to stop herself, um, and what Dominic, and again, I presume he's getting this from the book what he's doing is sort of saying oh well marilyn would just switch into a, a mode oh like any scene is playable any scene is actable and she'd go into a mode of i'll be this now um and kind of see where it takes me does it take me closer to a a, a father figure to a reunion with my father the um this kind of driving force and the other driving force and theme that is just a you know, motif that is given to us again, hammered over the head again and again and again, is Marilyn's uh, childlessness and her miscarriages and abortions and, um, you know, fetuses speaking to her from the womb and shots of fetuses in the womb and crying babies in drawers. And the one that sort of struck me, and again, I don't know if this is from the book, but the sort of, the the womb eyes the womb eye view of the speculum being used to open up uh between Marilyn Monroe's legs and look inside but we're seeing it from inside her womb and that happens I think that happens twice in the movie um so there's a you know it, it's almost it's almost kind of body horror and certainly again if you're talking about well, the speculum is a metaphor for how Marilyn was invaded by men, how she was invaded by everybody and how nobody wanted her to be a mother because they wanted her to remain uh, an object of childish sexuality 
um, and childlessness. Um, and of course, that's a that like that's a very strong idea linked to female sexuality, perhaps, or sort of a, a, a you know a male frame of female sexuality that you know if you remain childless you're not a mother you're still a, a woman in her own with her own sexual power and her own sexual potency and again something that something that a man can possess because a man doesn't want to possess the child he wants to possess the the sex the sexualized woman um and so that's a that's an ongoing theme in the movie and while Arthur Miller is presented as a sort of a sympathetic character, he's also presented as the sort of um, kind of incapable intellectual, um, sort of slightly effete and um, too cerebral and not particularly earthy or sexual himself and not able to kind of get a hold of that animal. Um, that is the, the 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 wounded the wounded puppy that Marilyn Monroe is as we're as we're given her in the in the movie. Um, in fact, there's only one there's only one character that sort of emerges as a, a sympathetic friend uh, played by Toby Huss, um, who uh, who I first came across in in. What the hell is the name of that TV show? Halt, Halt and Catch Fire. Um, that I thought a very, very good uh, TV series about the emergence of the kind of computer, the computer age, the home computer age, a sort of fictionalized version of that with some some great female characters, very strong female par- characters in that. And Toby Huss was a very sympathetic character in that. Um, and in this, he's like Marilyn's, I couldn't quite tell if he was her, her makeup guy or just her sort of assistant around the studio, but also the guy who would procure her her medication to kind of calm her down. Um, and he, yeah, he, he, again, like a choice, a choice by the director, a choice by Joyce Carol Oates, perhaps. Why, why weren't we given more of him? Why weren't we given more of a character to help us balance all the other stuff? So, like, ultimately, that's the criticism of the movie. It, it just becomes very one note and one dimensional. Um, and then it's just surrounded by these kind of stylistic choices. Um, so, you know, predominantly shot in black and white. Um, and maybe that gave a better physical uh, effect or representation of Marilyn. Um but ultimately, my conclusion was like when I finished watching the movie, I just felt this kind of sadness and and sympathy for for Marilyn Monroe. And regardless of the the choices made by Dominic um, in this movie, I felt um, that I connected with the character and did connect with her vulnerability. So um, I think that's just credit to Anna de Armas. I think she. I think it's, again, you know, it's one of those sort of, you know, fearless kind of performances. And she's certainly vulnerable. She, um, you, you know, there's a lot of nude scenes. Um, and I think the success of the performance is that you're understanding that somehow this is, you know, we're not sexualizing her. She's not been sexualized by Dominic. Um, and there's something just... 
I found I, I thought the vulnerability was believable um, but just perhaps underexplored narratively and under underexplored um, thematically in a way by Andrew Dominic um, it was just too too um, too brutal I suppose is 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 ultimately kind of the feeling I came away with but if I was to say if you were to ask me should I watch it I'd be like well yeah you know you know, watch it because it's it's a it's a divisive film and that then is interesting straight away um, watch it if you have any interest in Marilyn Monroe watch it if you have any interest in um, that idea that sort of misogynist idea of of kind of possessing um, of possessing uh, a woman who represents female sexuality in such a potent way and there's a sort of a there is one sequence actually that was I thought was very successful and slightly it was kind of a, like and, and sort of horrific, deliberately horrific. When I say horrific, I mean, to, you know, like a horror sequence. And it's Marilyn arriving at a premiere. Uh, I can't remember which movie it was meant to be. Maybe it was some Like It Hot. And it's that classic. She steps out of the car. There's light bulbs flashing everywhere. The kind of the, 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 the paparazzi kind of feeling. And hundreds and hundreds of fans. And... This was one choice that Dominic made and I thought, okay, now I'm tapping into something that's kind of just, it is, it, like I found this is unsettling and genuinely spooky. Now, maybe some other people just found it too obvious, but he did this thing where as the predominantly, um, you know, people in the predominantly male crowd, um, and I, I thought this is a choice. I bet you there were as many women as men but he's leaning into this idea that it's men, 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 just whooping and howling like dogs um, for their meat. And Marilyn Monroe is, you know, doing her thing um, in, you know, lovely dress and heading into the premiere and, you know, I love you, I love you and blowing kisses to the crowd. But Dominic does this thing as, as the camera pans across the crowd and it's sort of a slow motion sequence certain men their mouths are distorted so they become like gaping voracious predators uh and it's it's just on that you know what what people you know what what people call the uncanny valley where you're going hold on is that real or is that not real and we you know it's got it triggers a very strong repellent impulse in one where he just distorts them enough that you're like, is that that guy's actual mouth? Because it's freaking me out. And then kind of just pulls it back slightly. So you're like, did I actually see that? But that was, I think, in a way, that was one of the most successful moments in the entire film. Um, And that just as a representation of that objectification, that unbridled lust and desire um and that's what's 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 the idea behind that the idea is it's when somebody is presented as and becomes a de facto piece of public property and this is something that has been driven by celebrity culture and the sort of tabloidification of celebrity culture and at its most insidious and its most unsympathetic 
it has always focused on celebrities who are victims and celebrities who are in 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 difficulty celebrities who are have got addiction issues celebrities who are unable to escape themselves celebrities who are living out their the messiness of their trauma and their inability to cope in public um and somebody like amy winehouse would be a very good example of that i would have thought um somebody like lindsay lohan would have been a very good example of that as well and this kind of car crash train wreck um almost pornographic um you know you know slavering over these again young successful attractive very talented women who then don't don't keep up their end of the the deal which is keep your keep your shit together and because you didn't it's like oh well well then we can just do what we want and we'll follow you around everywhere and we'll catch uh, images of you um that no one would you know that you'd never want anybody to see and we'll get you when you're drunk and we'll get you when you're stoned and we'll get you when you're falling out of the car and we'll get you when the plastic surgery has gone wrong and we'll get you when you're losing your mind and we'll you know and it's this it, it's really predatory and it's there is something i don't know i mean like you know does it happen to everyone does it happen to any celebrity who does this is it equally is it equally done to men i mean my instinct is no not really there just seems to be something particularly vicious and um retaliatory almost in how women are focused on when they fail um and you know and female celebrities particularly you know specifically um like you know let's put the boot in while she's down she didn't satisfy our ideal um of of sexuality um and the pressure that we put on them to maintain that sexuality uh but then we also want them to, to behave a certain way so it's like you know be the object of my fantasies um and if you fail it doesn't matter where you know you know there's no there's no benefit to you of having been the object of 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 my fantasy now i'm just going to kick you while you're down um because you're only ever you're only ever there as an idea of 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 sexual utility and sexual fuel um and it's brutal it's absolutely brutal um so i don't know i mean the like that's a that that would be a very a very grim um and um, uninspiring kind of note to finish on but it's always going to happen i suppose is my thinking like there's you know no, none of what i've said changes that people will always be kind of be victim to this and i think if you're, if you're, if you're talking about celebrities specifically um there's going to be a lot of luck involved in terms of an individual's makeup in terms of the the people around that person you'd like to think with the the sort of successful aspects of the me too movement in raising a lot more awareness and raising kind of standards around 
onset treatment and calling out um, transgressions and inappropriate behavior. Um, that's helped make those spaces safer for, for, for people, um, safer for, for young women in particular. Um, you'd like to think that there's going to be more protection. So, I mean, in that regard, movement um, has been in, 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 in the right direction. Um, but overall, um, it's, it's just people, isn't it? And there is, there's something particularly tragic, I suppose, about figures like Marilyn Monroe. And maybe, maybe this is a particularly 20th century story. Like if maybe, you know, the 20th century is the sort of the century of cinema. Um, And certainly I think of the 20th century as being America's century. And so these American figures of of glamour, of success, of of sex, of talent, of of celebrity, um, became so iconographic just by virtue of their times and how they sort of ascended to the the the, the, the top of the constellation of stars. Um, and their their tragic end is it's always in the mix and so if you think I mean people like James Dean Marilyn Monroe Elvis come to mind Um, and probably for me the last sort of iconic celebrity figure would probably be someone like Michael Jackson Um, now I don't know if that's considered a a zag if I just if I just drove the truck off the road um but again it's you know it's in the mix it's like let's you know these people are at the absolute apex of fame of talent um you know maybe James Dean epitomized something slightly um different because his career was so much shorter um, although you know not that much shorter than than Marilyn's, um, she um, she I think she only had about thirty or so film credits um, at the end, and a lot of those early ones would have been just very small appearances um, in, in 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 movies, some some nice kind of noir stuff in the mix there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just think there is something about how media was consumed. Um, and how you know movies and 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 yeah and music stars as well were 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 consumed through the twentieth century. I mean, it's it's changed. All of that has changed. We don't a single celebrity can't have that same impact, um, and can't occupy the same place in our imaginations and in our in our fantasies. I suppose. Um, because we have so much more access to all the information and in a way we feel I feel there's a proximity that we have and an access to kind of behind the scenes that we have now that demystifies celebrities um, and the, the the truly the truly kind of standout 
above it all celebrity doesn't really exist anymore um and so you in a way we we won't repeat maybe it can't be you know you can't repeat this a story like marilyn's um because maybe we're all just getting a bit too we're you know we've been overexposed to too much and they're just not going to occupy the same place in our minds and in the culture. So maybe that's a good thing, really. Anyway, look, that's it. I think that's all I have today. Um, so that was that was words. That was tell. Uh, not a lot of show. Uh, on Blonde, Andrew Dominic's controversial, divisive, interesting um film about Marilyn Monroe's life um based on the book by Joyce Carol Oates so yeah maybe people should be talking more about Joyce Carol Oates and her book rather than what Andrew Dominic did with the book that he based his movie on um okay I think that's it that's it for uh for another week so um as always thank you for listening um I think you would have enjoyed that if you're someone who likes movies, if you like Marilyn. Um, and tune in again next week when I'll be talking to, I don't know who, might just be talking to myself as usual. Um, you can, you can find find me on social media. Social media. The Clear Out Podcast is on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook twitter is the clear out two number two and if you ever want to send me an email you can at the clear out live at gmail.com and if you enjoy this podcast and think it's something you want to get behind you can support it you can support it using the supporter link there should be a supporter link wherever you're listening to this podcast where you can make a one-time donation to the show or if you want to become a personal benefactor of the clear out podcast you can do so by using the patreon link that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out and there you can just throw a couple of quid uh, on a regular basis towards the the show the upkeep the maintenance um the coffee whatever okay that's it listen um mind yourselves stay safe and um, if you're going to rise to the top of the Hollywood tree, just um, try and have some good people around you. Try and uh, mind yourself. Try and have someone watching your back. Because um, that, that, that will help. That will help you. Okay, I'll talk to you real soon. All the best. Take care. See you. Bye. Inside.